right, tonight we'll be in Exodus chapter number 8. Exodus chapter number 8. Now, I wanted to report to you this evening um, that while we left this morning, we were able to greet two people that had um, accepted Christ as their personal Savior, and we praise the Lord for their decision to trust the Lord. But while we were exiting, there was still someone being dealt with, and um, her name was Eden, and she actually ended up accepting the Christ, uh, Christ as her personal Savior as well. So we're, we praise the Lord for that. Um, we're not able to congratulate her tonight, but man, it's a blessing to me uh, just knowing that that decision was made. So I wanted to report that to you tonight. Uh, feel like I'm ringing a little bit. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe it's just monitors. I don't know, but maybe we can see if we can fix it. Exodus chapter eight, number, uh, number eight tonight. Uh, I want to preach to you on a very unique subject, and uh, I do feel like uh, even though uh, this is kind of continuing with our uh, preaching through Exodus here, I do feel like it's very unique that this is the sermon that would happen today, considering the Sunday school lesson that was taught this morning. Uh, if you were unable to be in Sunday school this morning, essentially what the lesson was, was before we can see revival or as a result of us experiencing revival, you will see a purification begin to happen in a Christian's life. There's simply not a revival that has ever existed where people did not begin to get right with God. And it's just, it, it's as uh, much akin to peanut butter as peanuts, okay? It just is. People begin to sense a renewing of their salvation. They begin to see God working in their life. And what, that, what happens then is a purification as we then begin to seek God and ask, what's wrong with our life? And we begin to seek His will for our life. And as was taught this morning, you must first have a personal revival before we can see a collective revival. I mean, revival does you no good if everybody around you is experiencing it. And so we better desire in our own heart to have revival, first of all, within our lives so that others can see it as well and maybe they can experience the same thing. And that's very unique tonight that we would be preaching on this subject. Verse number 1 of Exodus chapter 8, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say, say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Now, we kind of talked about this last week, but pay attention to this verse here in verse number 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, 
when shall I entreat for thee, and for thy servants, and for thy people, to destroy the frogs from thee and thy house, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. When a frog shall depart from thee, and from thine house, thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people, and they shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, and out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Heavenly Father, tonight we pray that you bless the sermon. Lord, I pray that you speak through me. I ask uh, simply that I be used as a vessel. And I pray that everyone in here would focus in in the next few moments on what you would have them to do. And I pray that we would all be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, obviously, we all understand the context of the passage and what's going on. You don't really need to understand that much before this, other than before this miracle was the miracle of Moses, or the Lord through Moses and Aaron, turning the river and the ponds and the brooks and the streams and every other bit of water in Egypt into blood. Now, if that hasn't made Pharaoh enough of a believer that God will do what he needs to do to get his people liberated, uh, now Moses comes to Pharaoh and, and he says, if you don't let the people go, God's going to send frogs upon your land. There's going to be so many frogs you won't even be able to get, begin to imagine the amount of frogs that will be in the land of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh hardens his heart, doesn't react to Moses in the way that he should have. And uh, just so happens that Moses does send those frogs through the power of God. They're everywhere. Everywhere. In fact, I love the, the picture that the Bible paints. It goes beyond just telling us there were frogs everywhere to telling us there were frogs in places that they had no business being in. And it just says, there were frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh finally beginning to realize how this picture was going to play out, and that there was no happy ending for him, he goes to Moses and he says, I beg you, please ask God to remove these frogs from me. And Moses basically says this, okay, Pharaoh, I'll I'll let you decide. He says, glory over me. I'll let you decide when you want this to happen. Pharaoh, when would you like me to pray this prayer? And Pharaoh comes back with one of the most odd answers in all the Bible. He says, tomorrow. As if he's not gone through enough yet. As if the frogs were not such an annoyance for him to approach Moses and kind of have to admit defeat. As if that wasn't enough, Moses says, when would you like them to be gone? And Moses says, uh, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I, I don't have much uh, expertise in frog invasions, okay? I've never seen that, I've never heard of that, but I will say, um, I've, I've been in the woods before around a, a, a pond or a creek, and all you hear is frogs. 
And, and, and maybe you're not much of an outdoors person, but I know that a lot of times when I go coon hunting with Dad, we do a lot of not hunting, and we just basically sit and look at the stars, and, and it's, it's beautiful, but uh, very silent at times. And you'll be sitting around water, and all you hear is, but that's one of them. And there'll be thousands of frogs. And that's the closest thing I know of as far as a frog invasion. Now, I don't have any expertise in a frog invasion, but I do have some expertise in a cricket invasion. And for those of you that have been a member of the Joshua Baptist Church, for many years, remember the, the, the cricket epidemic uh, that hit our church one day. And we really had to seek and, and, and find if there was sin in the camp because it looked like plague status. Uh, if you don't remember it, we come into church one day and we pull into the parking lot and there are crickets blanketing our parking lot. And I, I would, I'm, I'm not lying when I tell you there were hundreds of thousands of crickets in our parking lot. It was the grossest thing, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of uh, explanation later as to how gross it was, but we're like, okay, that's no big deal. As long as they're in the parking lot, we can go in and have church, and it'd be no problem, and uh, we unlock the door, and it turns out that somebody had already let them in, and uh, they were just early arrivers to the service that day, and I, I, I promise you, our halls were almost a solid sheet of black. You could not. Now, I promise, I'm not making this up, and you can ask anybody who was here that day. You could not step and not smush a cricket. It was, oh, it was so gross. And then while we were in the service, they were just crawling all in the auditorium. So in the middle of church, you just have Brother Jay, and you knew that he wasn't, it wasn't even like a monumental time in the sermon. Brother Jay was just running from the cricket attack. And uh, it was unreal. This is the most vivid picture that I can paint for you to kind of get you an idea of how that day was. My dad and I were leaving, and he was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. And as our car pulled out of the road, all you could hear was, Pop, 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 pop. But it was, it was just constant. I mean, it was thousands and thousands of them were dying uh, at the tread of your fire stones. And it was just so terribly disgusting. Now, I, I don't know, we've not experienced anything like that since that time. But I don't know about you, but I hope that it happens next Sunday at the Revival. I hope that we come into church and we're just expecting a normal Sunday. And, and we just walk in and there are so many crickets that we're just sweeping them up in, in uh, brooms. We get the vacuum cleaners out and uh, you just... And you hear crickets... And you just run right over them bad boys. I hope that there's crickets coming from the ceiling right in the middle of church. One of you is going to be mouth open, snoring. Don't act like you don't do it. 
You're going to be mouth open, snoring, and here in a second, you're going to have one of them bad boys hit you in the belly. It's just not even going to hit anything on the way down. Just go straight through. Now you say, Brother Andrew, we want a good and lively revival, but there's not a single person here that wants the cricket epidemic of 2015 revival. No, there's not anybody here that would want that. Did you know that God does not want an epidemic of sin in our church? Did you know that we look at a, a natural thing like that, like frogs or crickets, and we're like, wow, look at that. And we can visibly see just thousands and thousands of them, but sins aren't visible, are they? And you can clean up behind your ears and put on a necktie, and you can look a whole lot better than the person sitting to your right or to your left. But I wonder if from God's viewpoint, sometimes he doesn't look down and say, that's disgusting. That is vile. And I'm not talking about at Walmart. I'm not talking about out of town or, 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 or even outside these walls. I'm talking about if God were to look in the congregation tonight, right here, if God were to see you, would he see somebody who's wholeheartedly seeking him, or would he see, like Pharaoh saw, just a gross bunch of frogs? I want to talk to you tonight on this thought, an invited infestation. An invited infestation. I want to share with you three points, and then we'll be done. First of all, I want to point out the problem. The problem in this passage is what? Well, the problem is the frogs. As obvious as that might sound, that's the problem. I want to share with you, first of all, the denial. Now, Moses comes to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, if you don't let the people go, God is going to do this. He says, if, if, if you don't obey God and submit to what I'm asking you to do by letting the children of Israel go, there will be frogs come. Now, if Pharaoh had thought about this at all, would he have not just recalled a few days earlier where Moses had promised to make the water into blood and he turned all the water in Egypt into blood? I mean, it wasn't like Moses was going in there unbacked up. I mean, he had already done an, uh, an amazing miracle. Now he goes into Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, if you don't let them go, guess what? Frogs are going to come. The only reason that I can expect that Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let them go, is because he was in stark denial that Moses could do what he was saying he was going to do. Right? If I, if I came to your house and I said, well, I'm going to come and just turn a whole mess of cockroaches loose in your house, well, you would probably shoot me on sight. But you're only threatened if I can deliver the promise, Right? And I think that as Pharaoh heard Moses speak, he was just thinking Moses was uh, just offering up a bunch of malarkey. He was saying, no, there's no way. There's no way you can do what you're saying. I mean, if you think about it, how did the frogs survive in the Blood River? I mean, I know they're amphibious, but chances are Pharaoh's thinking, well, there was not much survived that, so there's no way you can do this. And then I, I personally believe Pharaoh was in denial of God's promise here. You know, I think a lot of Christians are in denial of the fact that sin is destructive. 
the fact that sin has never been the Christian's friend. And I think a lot of us read the Bible, and when we read verses like, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, there's a lot of really brilliant promises in the Word of God, but that is just as much of a promise as uh, he hath promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. And the promise is, don't, don't think that God is a fool. If you do wrong, you will, of the flesh, reap wrongdoing. But some of us read it like, no, there's no way. I mean, that may happen in, like, the Old Testament God, but the God I know is not the same God. I'm sorry to inform you, he's the exact same God. God doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning in him. So as God has promised time and time again, sin has never been a friend or had any place in the life of a Christian. We sit there in denial and we just say, I'll just have my little pet sins and I'll, I'll just continue to do them. And all the while, God's raining judgment upon you and you just think it's because you're out of luck. You're in denial that God does not want you living the life that you're living. You're in denial that God is looking at your life and saying, that's not what my son bought you for. That's not what my son died on Calvary for. Uh, Why should we uh, continue in sin? Uh, That's absolutely absurd that a Christian would think that God saved you to be just as filthy after your salvation as you were before. We're in denial. We're in denial because many of us are not living the life that God wants us to live especially when it comes to ugly frogs in our life. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. I want you to note that God is faithful, that He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Notice, we always point to that verse and we say, Well, I can handle anything that God puts in my path. You don't understand. God is the one that's faithful. And the only reason that you can be victorious in sin or overcomers is because God is faithful that He will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but He will, He will also with the temptation provide a way of escape. So we say God will never place anything too hard for me to handle. No, things come down the pike that are too hard for you to handle. You just need to look for the back door that God provides. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, many of the Bible characters could have stayed there and said, No, I, I know I'm in temptation right now, and uh, I, I know this is not a good arena for me, but I'll just, I'll just stay here. And like Samson, we deceive ourselves. We're in the lap of someone who's trying to betray us and hurt us, and yet we're oblivious to it. In fact, we're in denial. Not only the denial of Pharaoh, the distress of Pharaoh. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, and the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people. Now notice this, it doesn't just stop there. He's not saying, oh, they'll just be in your homes. You'll be watching uh, television one night, and And uh, I might be adding the television set into the Bible, I understand. But you're just sitting around your coffee table having a family game night and want to hop across the floor. No, the Bible goes on to say that they're not only going to be in the house, but they're going to be in ovens. 
They're going to be in kneading troughs, so places where you eat and prepare food. That's where they're going to be. Moses, uh, you tell Pharaoh, they're going to be everywhere. And I guess Pharaoh was in denial that Moses couldn't do what he was promising to do. But eventually, oh, hard-hearted Pharaoh, you know the guy that wasn't willing to submit to anybody? The guy who essentially was the superpower of the day. He, he could go destroy just about any kingdom he wanted. He was building monuments and idols of himself. He was Pharaoh. It eventually got so bad that Pharaoh had to go to Moses, a slave reject who had previously been a shepherd. And here you have the king coming to a shepherd and saying, hey, can you help me out? Because I don't really have an answer. You know what it takes to get from, I'm Pharaoh, to, boy, i got to figure out a way to fix this problem. You know what it takes to get there? A whole lot of pain. A whole lot of slapping you in your face and a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of despair. And eventually, your pride turns into humility and then you'll seek any avenue of escape. Sometimes we underestimate how much sin hurts us in our life. Did you know the Bible strictly says uh, that if we as Christians love God, we will hate evil? It's like uh, someone who loves A&M. I don't know any really good Christians that know A&M. Do y'all? Brother John loves A&M. Brother Sean loves A&M. And and now they actually love the Cleveland Browns, apparently, after Johnny Manziel did what he did today. But they love A&M. And today we were all giving Brother John a hard time about his Houston Astros and Whatever, it's baseball. You you know, you lose 600 games and you think you've accomplished something because you get the wild card. But, uh, and I'm not talking about just the Astros there. I'm talking about we all think the Rangers have got it going on. But have you seen the National League? But anyway, I'm getting off topic. I'm getting off topic. We give Brother John a super hard time. And this morning they had put brooms up in his uh, Sunday school class with the Texas Rangers logo. Uh, back behind it. And, and for those of you who don't get the analogy, it, it was a sweep this past week. The Rangers clean swept the Astros. And so they were all giving him a hard time. <laughs> I stopped in and put my head in and Brother John's, hey, Brother John, you seen any brooms around lately? And uh, he, he's, no. And this is what he said. But I'll tell you what, it's a clean sweep yesterday when my A&M Aggies won and the Longhorns lost and the Crimson Tide lost. Like, That's a clean sweep. You know, it's just... It's just hilarious. I I love Brother John. You'll never catch him in a lie, and you'll never catch him when he's wrong. Um, But he does both constantly. And, uh, I mean, loving sin as a Christian is like an Aggie going to Texas and loving it down there. And, and, And that's not even a good analogy because... Children of God ought not look at sin and be like, huh, huh, that that looks kind of appealing. That's our flesh. That's the Adamic nature that Christ came to kill. And and, and we sit there and we act like uh, sin has no pain, sin has no consequences. I mean, if we'll just go about our own business as long as nobody finds out, that's what David thought. 
as long as nobody finds out and I'll cover my tracks. And eventually, God arranged it so much so that divinely, he made a prophet walk into David and says, David, don't you think you're getting away with this? Don't you think that you've somehow finagled a way that you, 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 you've got all the consequences of sin? Nathan looks at him and says, David, thou art the man. And because thou hast done this thing, you have given the enemies of God a great occasion to blaspheme. Not only that, the child which you're going to have will die. David was like, man, I finally got away with it. We think that we can outsmart God. Oh, my friend, don't ever underestimate the pain that sin offers the child of God. Proverbs 14 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. First of all, the denial of Pharaoh. Secondly, the distress of Pharaoh. Third of all, the decision of Pharaoh. Look in verse number 7. Now, I want you to pay attention here. I think this is a very unique thing. Um, well, we'll go to verse number 6. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So, y'all understand that verse that finally the promise that Moses had made to Pharaoh comes to fruition. He says, if you don't let the children of Israel go, the frogs will come. And then we find out how bad it is. There's frogs everywhere, in their homes, in their uh, hotels, in their places of business, in their places where they prepare and make their food. Uh, It's just obviously a tremendously gross thing. And then verse 7 says this. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs from upon the land of Egypt. They've got more frogs than they know what to do with. And what do they do? Well, just to prove a point, we'll make more frogs. How ludicrous is that? I want to point out the next verse. We talked a little bit about that last week, but we're going a different way with it this week. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. And said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. Now, here's a question. Pay attention. We're getting pretty deep here, or at least it is to me. If Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate the miracle that Moses brought, why did he not consult them to remove the miracle? I mean, if they can produce frogs, why can they not remove frogs? You know why? Because the world only offers problems. They never offer solutions. To the child of God, the world is harmful. And while it may seem like sometimes they have answers, they have answers to throw on more burdens. They have answers to give you more issues. But only God can alleviate suffering. And only God can remove uh, scars. And only God can help a child of God heal. And even Pharaoh, a lost pagan king, understood that while these people may think they have answers, the only one going to fix my issue is when I go to God. So, Christian, why don't you stop acting like you can figure out how to fix your sins on your own? Uh, Paul said it this way, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He then goes on to say, I try doing certain things, and it's like I have the will to do them, but when I have the will to do them, it doesn't seem like I can accomplish them. And the things that I don't want to do, I try not doing those things, and I eventually do them. He was pointing out that even the Apostle Paul 
His flesh was absolutely weak. And he says, I can't depend on this old carnal body and this uh, fleshly attitude. I can't depend on this. So what did he do? Therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that when I am weak, then I may be strong. He was saying, I cannot rely on my strength. I cannot rely on my power. For the arm of flesh will fail me. But when I go to God, He has the answers. And He has the solutions. Even Pharaoh understood this. Why don't we? We sit there and we try figuring out, well, if I can just, uh, if I can just uh, get off Facebook, maybe I won't gossip as much. And that's probably true. But if I can just maybe make a harder budget, maybe I won't spend and I won't become a bad steward. Maybe if I just throw all the alcohol away from my refrigerator, maybe at the point when I feel like I need the alcohol the most, I won't have access to it. You're depending on your strength. You're scheming and you're trying to make solutions to find a resolution, but only God offers those. When you get right with God, you'll say, Jesus, you mean more to me than what this world has to offer. Jesus, you love me so much and I love you so much. I I can get rid of the gossip and I can get rid of the flippant spending. And Jesus, I can get rid of the alcohol. Jesus, I can get rid of the lustful thinking. Jesus, I can get rid of the curse words. Jesus, I can get rid of me not being the man that you want me to be. Because Jesus, you're more than worth it. That's what it is. Even Pharaoh came to the point. When he had to make a decision, he couldn't trust his own abilities. He had to go to God who had solutions. The problem, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. First of all, we see tonight the problem. I want you to notice, secondly, the prerogative. The prerogative. Well, what's the prerogative? And I find this very unique. Verse number 9 of our chapter And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee? So Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, Moses, pray that these frogs will be gone. Just get rid of them somehow, Moses. And I love the fact that God gives Pharaoh the ability to decide when they'll go. Moses says, okay, Pharaoh, I'll give you the liberty here. You glory over me. You have the, the option to tell me when. Uh, when shall I entreat for the people, for thee and thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee? You notice he was given the choice. It wasn't Moses' choice. It wasn't the choice of Aaron. And in fact, it wasn't even God's choice. Moses gave the liberty to Pharaoh to decide when this problem would be resolved. Did you know that God is waiting for a lot of us to act towards him? Uh, He's waiting. Did you know the Bible promises this? That if we will draw nigh unto God, take the step. What does the Bible say? Then I will draw nigh unto you. But a lot of us are sitting in neutral, and I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, uh, Brother Martin, we, we were having a conversation, and uh, we talked about how a lot of us just want like a quick lube mechanic. That's what we want God to be. We want God to just fix our problems, and we don't really want to work for it. And so we sit idly by, waiting on God to come with solutions. We say, God, I really need you here. 
And yet we never take that step towards God. And the Bible promises that if we will draw to God, He will draw to us. Uh, But it's our choice, is it not? Elijah came to uh, the people of his day and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered Him not a word. They stood by waiting on Elijah to act. Elijah put them in a spot. It wasn't a yes or no answer. It was pick. You choose. You either choose Baal or you choose God. But you've got to choose. And this is what they did. Maybe this problem will resolve itself. And we look at that and we would mock those people and say, why didn't you choose? What? You, you could have chose Baal, that would have been the wrong choice, but you could have chosen him, or you could have chosen God, but we do it all the time. We wait for God to find answers and find solutions, and all the while we stand waiting for problems to be resolved. You know who God uses to fix problems? Men. That's why Moses is in the court of Pharaoh and not some angel. Did you know today when I woke up, I had the choice to shower? I didn't have to. Uh, There was no one that made me. As much power as my wife has over me, she did not tell me to get in the shower. Did you know tomorrow when I wake up, I'll have the freedom and the liberty to decide whether or not I hop into the shower? I also have the liberty, once I get in the shower, to decide whether I'm going to take a junior high shower. And some of you are like, what in the world is that? Well, a junior high shower is you just use water. You get in there and you get wet, but the shower is not complete. A junior high shower is not complete until you get out. You're still nasty because you didn't soap up, you didn't shampoo. You get out and you cover yourself in body spray. And you look like, what is it, Lioness from Charlie Brown? He has the stink cloud following him. Junior hires just have an axe or Old Spice uh, cloud following them. You walk by <laughs> Take out stock in junior high showers in Old Spice and axe body spray. That's a junior high shower. Did you know I have the choice to do that tomorrow? Did you know I have the choice to brush my teeth or not to brush my teeth? That's, that's my choice. Do you know I have the choice to go to God and ask Him to help me avoid sin? I think the prayer of Jesus was, and lead us not in temptation. Jesus, help me not go in areas that I may fall. Uh, You say, I don't believe that can happen. Well, I do know that the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So, in essence, in a very real sense... Jesus can guide our steps to avoid the traps that have been laid out by the deceiver. But we, it's our choice. And nobody, and I mean nobody, can make you do it. Husband, no matter how much you want, you cannot make your wife become godly. It's her choice. Wife, no matter how much you pray for your husband and want your husband to take steps of a good man and a godly man... Do you know it's his choice? And like Pharaoh, many people just stand in neutral, just waiting. 
and nothing gets accomplished. It was his choice. Secondly, I want to show you that he was confused. Think with me, why would Pharaoh, when given the choice to remove the frogs totally, why would Pharaoh say, tomorrow? Why would, if Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, I'll give you the choice. When do you want the frogs to be gone? I know they're a pain. I know they're in your cafeteria. I know they're at your dining table. I know they're in your bedroom. Could you imagine a frog in the middle of the night jumping up on you while you're sleeping? That, that would disturb me, man. And that's what was happening. And, and Moses comes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I know it's a pain. This is God trying to get you to a point where he could use you. Fair, I, I, yeah, I know the frogs are bad, so I'll give you the choice. Here's, when do you want me to pray? Tomorrow. What was the right answer, class? On, on three, without any, any uh, guiding or teaching, what was the right answer? One, two, three, right now! Uh, Moses, I brought you in here. Uh, Moses, I don't want them anymore. Moses, they're killing me. Moses, get rid of them tomorrow. What? Now, I'm going to offer you my only guess as to why Pharaoh would have said tomorrow. There's really two guesses that I can come up with. First of all, he misunderstood God's grace. Maybe, just maybe... He said, and I've been a real hard head. And, you know, these frogs were sent to me to punish me. And I accept that punishment. Now I'm going to let the children of Israel go. But I understand it's my punishment, so it's my cross to bear. And so I'm just going to deal with it. So Moses prayed tomorrow. Now, that's one explanation that I have to offer you. Secondly, it was either that or it was well, God's not powerful enough to remove them all right now. I mean, really, can God just one, two, three, poof, have all of them gone? And he grossly misunderstood God. Because even Moses says, okay, is that your final answer, Regis Philbin? Right? <laughs> if that's what you want, it will be done exactly like you've asked tomorrow because you'll see the glory of God tomorrow. That's what it says in the next verse. And so those are my only two explanations. And we look at Pharaoh and we're like, well, Pharaoh, yeah, sure, it was your punishment, but you had, a, you had a way out of it. I mean, you could have just solved the problem right now. Or we say, Pharaoh, you don't know God very well because God brought the problem, but he can remove the problem. Remember how long Jonah was in the belly of the well? Three days and three nights. And then he prayed unto God, right? It took him three days and three nights. But as, as when Jonah finally came to God and said, Yeah, I, I understand I was not really where, what, where, I, where I needed to be for you, Lord. As soon as that happened, it was like the well was already en route to land because it vomited him up. God is so strong and so powerful. He can remove any conflict, any issue with just a simple request. So how does that apply to us? Because believe it or not, there's a lot of Christians who just think that they are deserving of the sinful or, or the wrongdoing in their life right now. 
They think they're being punished by God, and they say, well, you know what, God, I lived a painful life. God, I've got skeletons beyond skeletons beyond skeletons, and I just believe, God, that I deserve this. And we misunderstand the mercy of God completely. What's amazing about God is, and we are so messed up on God's mercy and His divine forgiveness, because we think of it in human terms and we say, God, please forgive me of my sin. What you don't understand is your sins have already been forgiven. At the cross of Calvary, the sins of all the redeemed children of God, they were forgiven at that moment. And the very moment we say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. You know what happens? Every skeleton that's in our closet behind us, every skeleton that may be in the closet coming up right now, and every skeleton that will ever pop up, we will be forgiven of at that moment. And we forget totally about how gracious our God is. We say, boy, I had a rough day yesterday. I was just wicked. I did some really dumb things. You know what the Bible says? His mercies are new every morning. We don't have a friend. We don't have a relationship. We don't know anybody that can say that. God is the only one who says, yesterday was rough, but I clean the slate today. My gracious, what a, what a loving Heavenly Father we have that He would say, Hey, uh, get back on the bicycle. Hey, just, just hop right back on and try doing your best. Try living for me today. Yesterday was a bad day, but just, just get back on it, brother. Just, just do what you can for me today. I wonder if Peter felt disqualified from the ministry. Look, what Peter did was not like lying. Well, he did. What Peter did was not just uh, uh, betraying somebody, stealing some money. Peter looked at the people around him and said, I don't know Jesus at all. I never knew him. I've never been with him. I, 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 I don't even know him. And then he started dropping curse words to prove that he didn't know Jesus. The Bible says he goes out and weeps bitterly. I can only imagine the pain that he must have felt. I bet his prayer, his confessional prayer said something like this. Jesus, I, uh, you told me I'd betray you and you were right. And when I first found out that Judas betrayed you, I was angry. I was angry that he could be our brother and he could be by you and claim you as the son of God and then, then just betray you. Jesus, I realize now I did the exact same thing. And while I may have never led a soldier, a a band of men to come take you to the cross, I might as well have. You ever been there, friend? You ever been there and just bowed a knee and come to this altar and just said, Jesus, boy, I failed. Jesus, I didn't look like you yesterday. Jesus, I I may not be like Judas. I may not have brought a band of people to you to to betray you, but Jesus, I betrayed you the same. You ever been there? But my God is long-suffering. My God is faithful. 
and is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you bow that knee to a heavenly father, you say, Jesus, I feel worthless. He puts his arm around you and he says, oh, but you mean so much to me. Jesus says, I feel like a buck and a half worth of dirt. And Jesus says, oh, but I created you in my image. I redeemed you with the precious blood of my dear son. I wouldn't have done that for just anybody. I did that for you. Boy, at the very moment when you feel the lowest, you feel the worst, you know what Jesus offers you? He offers you hope. And the only reason that I can think Pharaoh may have pushed it off till tomorrow was because he was confused about what God offers. And I've got to be very honest with you tonight. The only reason I can figure a Christian would waller in the same sin that they continuously waller in so they're very confused about what God has to offer them. They grossly misunderstand God's person and His character. Because God does not sit up in heaven with a stick waiting to beat us. God sits up in heaven with grace, offering it to us that we may run our race. He, he sits up in heaven cheering us on. In fact, the Bible says, whereby we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, they're all cheering us on and hoping that we do good and hoping we do right. God's not a father waiting to chastise us. God is a father waiting to lend a hand to us. But we get lost in our sin and we confuse the person of God. That was the prerogative that was given to Pharaoh. I want you to notice finally the purging. Once Pharaoh was humble enough to come to Moses and say, Moses, I can't handle this anymore. I ask you to entreat the Lord. Moses says, okay, when do you want me to entreat him? And despite Pharaoh's foolish answer, he says, tomorrow. Moses says, okay, it's going to happen tomorrow. But I want you to notice two very important things about how the frogs were removed. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 13. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses out of the villages, and out of the fields. Now, there's two really important things that I want you to notice here. First of all, the frogs died. So they, 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 they could not be back again. They, they couldn't return. They died. But what I like about it is, not only did they die, they died outside the house. And they didn't have to clean it up. Now, my dad taught me a long time ago, there's several ways to kill a mouse, but Really one of the most effective ways, and for you animal lovers, just go ahead and close yours now, is poison. You know why? Because when they're poisoned, they eat the poison and they begin to get thirsty. And they go outside of your home to seek water and they die outside of your home. You say, poor little mouse. Have you ever seen a mouse? They're the most vile creatures alive. And uh, that's what happens. Not only does God kill the frogs, but he allows them to leave the house. You know what's hard for a dead thing to do? Bother anybody. They're just going to lay there. They don't revive. They're, They're dead. When God gets rid of sin in our life, it doesn't revive. When God removes something, everything God does is final. It's complete. When God created the world on the sixth day, he looks at the world and says, it's good. 
It's complete. It's perfect. It's exactly how I do things. God does everything decent and in order. God never leaves something halfway done. So if you're battling with sin that you've been battling with for years, I promise you, God has had no hand in it. Because God doesn't leave His children forsaken. God doesn't leave His children halfway up, halfway down. God takes people from being wrong, wicked people and turns them into righteous, living saints. That's God's type of work. Yet these frogs die, and your sin can too. It can leave. God can get rid of it totally. And you know what's amazing? Dead things never come back to bother you. A lot of us deal with the same sin. We, we constantly are stuck in it. We feel like we're spinning our wheels. God has not helped you yet because you've not allowed Him to help you yet. God wants to kill your problems. God wants to remove your issues if you'll let Him. I like this, though. Not only did they die, they stank. They stank. I believe it's verse number 15. The Bible goes on to say that they... they the frogs are out of town and they begin to stink, right? Everything that decomposes stinks. Uh, I don't know if you've had any experience around an animal that may have died, but day one isn't so bad. Day one, it's just a dead animal. It doesn't move because it's dead. Day two, starting to look gross. You know why? Because there's flies begin to blow. And what's gross about it is they're attracted to the eyeball. You ever notice that? And I'm getting real gross here, but I'm meaning to. Mom, you don't want to? Yes, ma'am. But y'all know the process. Day one's not so bad. Day two, day three. It's vile. You don't want to touch day three. The other day, my wife and I were driving down the road, down 917, and we turn on the air conditioner, we're driving. And here in a second, we see something in the road. And it turns out it's roadkill. And uh, we drive right over it. Me and my wife, sitting right beside each other, we go. <sighs> Our air conditioner had sucked up the smell. <laughs> Thinking of it now. <laughs> Disgusting. And my wife, this is exactly how the conversation went. My wife goes, that one's fresh. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. Because day one don't stink. Day two don't stink quite that bad. Day three is disgusting. I know we're being comical about this, but I, I do believe there's a very real spiritual application here. God makes sin dead to a Christian. He'll he'll remove it from your life. But not only will he make it dead, he'll make it stank. It'll become appalling to you. It will become your enemy. You will stay away from it like the plague. You know why? Because sin after a while begins to have an odor. It begins to have a, a look and a feel to it that doesn't feel right to a Christian that's submitted to God. It, 
It just isn't good. It's just not godly. It just doesn't stand for what, what I believe and what I am to God. It's just, it's just vile. Is that the way you feel about sin? Unfortunately, it's not for most Christians. Unfortunately, we're around it so much. We're inundated with our television sets, with our media devices, with every outlet is screaming to us, sin's just sin. And we view it as such. Well, if I, if I don't do it, it's, it's not that big deal. But like we would not walk over and pick up roadkill and look, look what I caught. A Christian has no business walking over to some vile sin that grieves the Holy Spirit and, and, and doesn't resemble what a child of God ought to, ought to partake in. And we pick up our sin and say, look what I can do. It's just not Christian. It's not godly. And what some of us need to do is we need to remove ourselves from our sin. And you say, Brother Andrew, I've tried before. I've tried getting off the alcohol. I've tried getting off uh, doing the things that I'm doing. And, and, and day, I just didn't feel like I got that gross feeling. Well, did you get past day one? Because when you get past day one... It doesn't look so bad. You get past day two, it starts looking a little worse. And day three, my friend, it's just so vile, it's so gross. You want no part in that. The Bible says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Does sin repulse you? I'm afraid a lot of us have frogs. A lot of us have undealt with unresolved issues in our life that we know God is not pleased with. They don't stink because we do them all the time. And while we don't necessarily like what we're doing, we kind of like the dog returns to its vomit. We find ourselves slave to the sin that we hate so much. But God offers solution where the world offers problems. God offers hope where the world promises destruction and despair. God offers healing where the world offers hurt. God offers help when the world offers pain and distress. God offers a a soul that can lay its head on its pillow at night and say, God, with all my strength today, I tried living for you. And the world offers nothing for the Christian. Get rid of your frog. But like Pharaoh, you'll find yourself dealing with them and, and wanting to put it off till tomorrow. Just like the day of salvation is at hand, I believe the day of cleansing is at hand for some of us. A preacher stands up and preaches, and if the Holy Spirit spoke to you tonight and said, you've got some frogs, and you know you've got some frogs, Christian, tonight's as good a night as there's ever been to come to a holy God and say, God... I understand you on a level Pharaoh never understood you at. I know that through your power you can remove my frogs. I know that through your power I can begin to view my frogs differently. Jesus, through your power I can have victory because I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Get rid of your